Welcome to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to people who want to speak more as a way to build their income and grow their business. Well, welcome everyone to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast. I'm Jane Atkinson, and I'm excited because we have Simon T. Bailey on the show today. Welcome, Simon. Thank you so much. Good to be with you. Oh, now you and I are going to leave today's topic as TBD because there's so many places we could go. And, uh, but let's just start at the beginning. Like, how did you get, like most people, fall into the speaking business? How did that happen? <laughs> well, I was working at Disney Institute. Disney sent me over to Paris to design a leadership program for a thousand leaders out of Barclays Bank out of London. And while I was there in Paris, uh, Lion King had just come out. And I said, remember who you are. You are more than what you have become. And it hit me, oh, my goodness. Like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. (laughs) So I went back. (laughs) It's true, true, true. (laughs) So I asked myself, what would I do if I knew I could fail? What would I do if no one paid me to do it? And what makes me come alive? And I said, I want to speak, write, train, consult, and coach. So I came back from Paris to Orlando, Florida. Uh, Disney World promoted me into a leadership role, thus making me self-director for Disney Institute. But I knew that speaking was my thing. That was my jam. Mm -hmm. So I decided to create an exit strategy. And a few years later, as fate would have it, (laughs) I got a call from a, a journalist. And he said, where do you see yourself? to 15 years from now, whenever you work at Disney, you never talk to the media unless authorized. And I said, I want to be president and CEO one day and maybe chairman and CEO of the Walt Disney Company. And he puts this in print. So <laughs> the uh, <laughs> the article comes out and my boss comes in the office and he's like, what the heck were you thinking saying you want to become the number one guy at Disney? And I said, Larry, I work at this company whose motto is if your heart is in your dreams, no request is too extreme for when you wish upon a star, makes no difference who you are, but obviously it does here. It does. <laughs> Only in this situation. Whoopsie. Only in this situation. Okay. So, yeah. So that became the beginning of the end of my career. That was that. You were just helping yourself along in your exit strategy, look, really. I look at it. that. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Career suicide. That's what All I call right. it. Career suicide. So, <laughs> so you leave, but you leave with a really nice bio, right? I mean, Disney is a company that so many people respect. And so I think, uh, so you walk away with that. And what did you begin speaking about? What were some of your first topics? Simon says, dream, live a passionate life. Uh, So I'll play off of my name. Mm -hmm. And because I didn't have any any deep content, (laughs) I just started with, I'm passionate and I'm going to start and if the truth be told, I had a mortgage to pay. My son, Daniel, was four. Madison was 18 months. So, and there was no option. Uh, there was no plan B or option B because I had turned down four jobs and I had cashed in my entire 401k with significant wow. business stock. That is so dedication. That is, uh, that was all in. You are all in. Okay. So Simon says dream is topic number one. Now, would you say that you've always kind of been under the umbrella of like achievement, helping people? What what has been kind of at the core of your messaging through these, how many years have you been in the business? 
16 years. 16 years. So over the course of 16 years, tell me about kind of your transition of your topics from where you began to where you are today. Wow. I probably have had four (laughs) reinventions in the 16 years I've been doing it. That's about right. Every four years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Totally reinvention. And so I transitioned in the early, the first four years from that to talking about brilliance, which really, I went deep on brilliance and wrote many books on brilliance and have since pivoted then. But brilliance, I really milked that cow for a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And would you say that finding a word or a, you know, an idea that you can associate yourself with, how important has been, you know, like picking a lane and branding yourself for you, it's been one word, but how important has that been? Oh, it totally put us on the map, opened a lot of doors, and I went deep in it. I went from release your brilliance to shift your brilliance to releasing leadership brilliance, wrote books around that, and, and only only had one regret when I kind of look back now, because mm-hmm. distance gives perspective. Yes. If I had to do it all over again, I wish somebody would have told me, and they did tell me. Um, but I was just a little bit hard-headed, to add credible research, validated research, uh, evidence-based research to validate what I was sharing. And I had research, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the tried and true tested, you know, over time. I was using other people's research. And I wish I would have made that investment to add that evidence-based research. And, and here is where that happened. This is crazy. So State Farm called me and they were going to book me for a gig and they were sold on me and they, I met the client's budget. And then all of a sudden they called back and said, you know, we're going to go with Marcus Buckingham. And Marcus at that time was like 50 grand. Mm-hmm. And I said, but you guys said that I met your budget. And I said, what happened? They said there was an executive who saw Marcus somewhere else and took the $50,000 out of his budget and the private plane and the private car and invested in him. And I said to the client, I want to come in here with $50,000 sounds like, because mm-hmm. I was, I was 15 at the time. And I went and I met, I heard Marcus and I met him afterward. And I said, Marcus, dude, like we were competing for the same thing. And here's what he said. He said, Simon, I'm not in the speaking business. I'm in the training business. I turned down 200 speaking engagements a year. I'm a statistician and my research has positioned me and allowed me to do that. And that's when I had the whack upside the head. Hello, Mm -hmm. there we go. There's the future. And this is about 10 years ago. (laughs) I'm surprised he didn't say I'm in the research business because really that was what I thought his company was all about. And it is. Yeah. Research training. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Okay. So big, big difference there. So now your uh, spark a breakthrough. You've moved from brilliance mm-hmm. to breakthrough. You like the bees, mm-hmm. don't you? <laughs> I, I like the bees. And it's Bailey. all about the spark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so, and how, how is that going for you? So every time you do a reinvention, Talk mm-hmm. about how that mm-hmm. levels up, and then we'll talk about the books next because I know that's another up level too. Yeah, so for me, the reinvention starts with what makes me come alive. Mm. And I love brilliance, but I was sensing that it was time to move from the 1.0 to 
And I said to my instructional designer who used to work with me at Disney and she worked at Disney University and she's been with me for about 16 years. I said, what are we seeing? What are we hearing? We've interviewed thousands of companies and individuals and high performers. And we kept coming back to, it's a spark. There is a person in an organization that becomes the spark why people come back time and time again. So Be the Spark is my first business book that I've written uh, in 16 years. We just went pure business Mm. and decided to take the best of what I learned at Disney. I did some work for the Ritz-Carlton Learning Institute when I first left Disney. Mm -hmm. And and we started interviewing all these companies, and that's how we came up with Be the Spark. So uh, Sparking or Breakthrough and Be the Spark, that's our new platform. I love it. I love it. And it's sticky and people will remember it. So now, hey, I see it's like an S and a B or you're two, two, (laughs) I don't know. I'm making things up here. Simon, (laughs) Spark, Breakthrough, Daily. Anyway, uh, I'm making things up for you. Um, So really your name is now uh, synonymous with Spark. and Talk about the book. So every time you make a shift, you have written obviously Mm -hmm. one or maybe even two books uh, Mm -hmm. because you've got 10 books under your belt. That is in Mm -hmm. a crazy amount of books. I know there are people Mm -hmm. who write more than that. I don't even know how they do it. But um, Mm -hmm. talk a little bit about what the first book meant versus, you know, the 10th book. Yeah. The first book was the calling card, the business card the marketing tool to get my name out there because that book would go to places I may never go. When I look back now, I'm so embarrassed with that book because I'm like, wow, I actually wrote that. And I don't like it because it truly was the starter book. Mm -hmm. And now when I look at how far we've come in 16 years, I love that where we are now. But what I also realized, not just counting that first book, I had to grow. And what I discovered at when I first started out, at best, if I'm being really honest with you, I was an annoying echo instead of an original voice. And, and when I had the epiphany, I recognized I needed to stop trying to be less or Willie or mm-hmm. any other guys out there that look like me. And I also had to stop being a motivator. I can't motivate anyone to do squat. All motivation comes from within. And and Jane, when I let go of those labels and decided to be my authentic self, that's when I found my voice. And that's when I stopped being an annoying echo. You know, I think that might be what we call this program uh, because I think it's something that you've put into words quite brilliantly talking about being an annoying echo means that you've read and studied a lot of books, a lot of people, a lot of styles, and you've taken them on for yourself without knowing it. You're delivering a book report rather than thinking about your original content. And I think that that Mm. is a common way for people to begin, Simon, don't you? Yeah, totally. totally. And I am am honored that I had a chance to meet Jim Rohn when I was Mm. just a little 
yeah. know, I was still wet behind the ears and, yeah. and have lunch with Zig before he passed. I love all of them, yeah. but I had to find me. I had to yes. find my place. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. I really love that you said that. And I was just thinking about Jim Rohn last week. You know, I think they're bringing all of the Nightingale Conan stuff over to Audible. And so I think I might search and see because that's who's, you know, Les Brown, like you said, uh, mm-hmm. Jim Rohn. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many people, Harvey McKay, who's mm-hmm. steadied at their feet. But if then you were go out, to go out and all of your ideas were like a compilation of theirs, that's why I tell people to mm-hmm. quote themselves because mm-hmm. that then forces mm-hmm. them to become mm-hmm. their own idea master. So right. you exactly. decided, at what point do you think in your 16 years did you go, ba-ba-bing, this is, this is the light bulb moment where I realized I need to create all of my own unique original material? It happened probably about five years ago. Five years ago is when I had the epiphany and I woke up to the fact that customers don't buy speeches. They they don't like speeches. They want a solution. And you can't give a solution if you're John Maxwell remixed. You know what I'm saying? And, And so I recognized that I had to do my deeper work and I had to, to write and I had to read. And then I had to also bring myself to the stage. And, and what I mean by that, for a while, I was, a, I was an empty suit. Hmm. I was a public success, but a private failure, right? The person who was on stage was not the person off stage. And I was chasing money and a gig, but had no meaning to be a better dad at home. And, and when I started to get really real, I recognized I needed to let go of, uh, I'm going to use a, one of the words that Patricia Fripp hates. I had to let go of my stuff. Yeah. Right. And, and really get raw, real. Mm-hmm. Mm, that, you know, I kind of feel like I have, uh, walked in those footprint footsteps as well, where Mm. it's about um, the trappings of success and showing the world Mm -hmm. that you are successful years ago. You know, when I would imagine what my perfect day would look like, it would involve, you know, going back to my high school reunion. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. now I think, Mm -hmm. who cares? Like I could not Mm -hmm. care one little bit what, you know, anybody really thinks about what's going on in my life. If anything, it's just about being happy with every day. And so you did this amazing, uh, amazingly raw goal cast video, which was Mm -hmm. a, a part of your speech where Mm -hmm. you just open the kimono and say, I'm going through a divorce and this is what's going on in my life. Can you talk about that Mm -hmm. and how you, how did you feel just saying that to the whole world? You know, what's so amazing. The day that I gave that presentation, I was hosting for success live. I was on their stage and I had been struggling all night with what I was going to say because I was going to go through the normal ritual of, okay, three points, blah, blah, blah. And I was sharing the stage with Scooter Braun, with Mm. Brendan Bruchard, Mel Robbins, John Gray. And I was introducing them in addition to speaking. 
And I just said, you know what? I'm just going to go rogue. I'm just going to talk to the audience. I don't have a speech. I'm just going to share my heart. And I did not know in sharing my heart, putting my truth on the table, that it was recorded, forgotten about that. But then Gold Pass contacted Success Magazine and asked for the, the, the rights to edit it down to three minutes. And now, you know, some 84 million views later, uh, I never set out for it to be viral, right? It, it totally was serendipitous, uh, just a serendipitous experience because I decided to stop speaking and start connecting and just like tell the truth. What's your deal, dude? And that's where that came from. Yeah. So you decided that you wanted to be a different dad mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. better dad, better dad, better dad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and talk about how that reflects in kind of who you are on and off the stage today. Yeah. So, so let me give you a little backstory. Madison, my daughter came to my home office and she wanted to talk, but I was emotionally unavailable. And she said, daddy, I'll just see you later. And it hit me on the plane going to yet another gig that I missed the moment to connect with my daughter. And their mother said to me, you give everybody the best of you on stage, but you give us the rest of you off stage. And I don't want the leftovers anymore. And what I recognized is I had built a house but lost a home. I was chasing power of feeling important on stage, but I had lost my purpose. And I was chasing success, but I was not significant because I stopped listening. I had selective hearing. So after going through that experience, going through the divorce, what it has now done for me on stage is I'm no longer disconnected because as I listen to Madison and Daniel, my children, they've helped me become a better listener to my customer where I'm not listening, listening to respond. I'm truly listening to understand. And I also recognize that hearing is a courtesy, but listening is a compliment. And it's really invited me to, to release the need to be right by being open to what the customer really needs for me to deliver on stage in a breakout and however they consume my content. So a lot has changed. (laughs) Everything has changed. (laughs) That was a pretty loaded question, I realized. Wow, gee, Simon. Well, I want to congratulate you for being so real and raw and authentic. We try to be authentic here. That's why we don't, you know, edit our edit our podcast or anything like that. We just kind of show up the way if the dog's going to bark because the Amazon guy's here when then that's what's going to happen. Right. So, um, thank you for sharing that. That really truly means a lot. You've talked about things that you wish you would have done sooner. Is there other things that you wish you would have done differently over the course of your business growth? What, or maybe what's one thing that really helped you kind of navigate to the next level? Maybe it was one of the books or something like that. Yeah, I think three things. Number one, investing in admin operations help mm. as soon as you can will be an investment that just pays time and time again. Yep. Uh, Melissa has been with me 
for 13 of the 16 years on this journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michelle was a part of my early journey, Michelle Lucia. And I am so grateful that both of them really allowed me to propel and get to this point. That's number one. Number two, there's a book that has, I wish I would have read this book 16 years ago. We have implemented this book within the last few years, has mm-hmm. made a difference in our business. It's called Profit First oh, yes. uh, by Michael Metalitwitz. I swear by this guy, absolutely brilliant. Um, I believe Michael's a Canadian and uh, yes, he he's is. a wonderful, yep. wonderful human being. He and I just shared the stage together in the Bahamas. And I told him, I said, dude, your book absolutely changed <laughs> my life. Uh, and so profit first, take your, your profit off the top. Mm-hmm. And then probably the third thing that really uh, allowed us to go to that next level is we stopped chasing bureaus. Uh, when I got out the gate, I thought that, oh, my God, look at me, Washington Speakers Bureau. Look at me speaking. Look at me, Premier Kepler. Hello, I'm Simon. I'm wonderful. And all of a sudden, when we stopped chasing them, that's when they started calling yes. us because yes. it was the client requesting them to book us yeah. instead of us saying, look at our stuff, right? And what we discovered, they would start calling and they still to this day call with like, is this data available? We have a firm offer. Let's go. Yeah. And you love it when I, that happens. I, and, and I bet they yeah. lost a few gigs to you as well along the way. That's definitely oh, a way to get yeah. them to notice you. So we do have that process over here at the Wealthy Speaker School. We talk a lot about getting really good and booking the business yourself first mm-hmm. and that the bureaus mm-hmm. will then come a calling. That's the really the best way to do it. And, you know, I love that philosophy even of stop chasing and start attracting. Yeah. What what mode do you need? Because that's what happened to you. You were just very attractive to them. So you obviously were doing some things right and the clients were attracted to you. Therefore, they were attracted to you. You know, it's counterintuitive because everybody says sell, sell, sell. And what I really believe, I will go to my grave saying this, stop selling and start connecting. Because when you sell, that's a transaction. But when you connect, that's a relationship. And relationships are the currency of the future. So I'll give you just a prime example of what this looks like. Today, I'm in San Diego, and I'm staying at a beach house of a friend of mine who saw me at a conference and say, if you are ever in San Diego, you cannot stay in a resort. My husband and I want you to stay at a beach house that we own. We don't live there, but you can, you can have it. So I'm here with my children and I had an engagement this a few days ago that my children got a chance to sit in on. The Uh client bought 200 copies of my book, but here's what I did. I had my children at the back of the room Uh signing the book on my behalf, right? So, so now it comes full circle. But the client that booked me saw me 20 years ago and said, we've watched you and we wanted you. And that's a relationship. That wasn't a transaction. So when I begin to understand, stop selling and start connecting. And, and something I'm teaching Daniel and Madison, my children, is relationships are the currency of the future. That's how things are done. If you can manage relationships, you can do anything in life. In a world of algorithms, autonomous cars, automation, and artificial intelligence, relationships will always supersede, always supersede any of that. Love that. And of course, we hear so much about AI and all the things that are coming down the pike. 
Let's give some advice for the person who is just starting out in the career. What what is something that you did in the first um, six months of your business that started to get you some action and get you booked? I would invest, number one, in learning how to truly um, – how to build relationships, how to really sell and position yourself. You should just understand selling and marketing at the best. Seth Godin is probably one of the foremost thought leaders that I think out there as it relates to marketing and building community. That's number one. Number two, I would find in your core expertise, who's the top 1%. And I would interview them, not for what's made them successful. Where did they make mistakes? Mm -hmm. What did they learn? So, Uh, about four or five years ago, I was invited to Australia for three weeks to speak and Larry Wingett was on the ticket. Uh, he was there. I'm like, I'm in, I am in Australia and New Zealand Mm -hmm. for three weeks with Larry Wingett. I'm going to make him my focus group of one. And at every meal, every time I said, Larry, what did you do? What would, what, what mistakes did you make? Da, 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 da. And Larry just downloaded to me and I was taking copious notes. So who's that top 1%, right, that you can get access to? And then the third thing, I think that's critically important for those just starting out, believe in yourself. And I know that just sounds so much like, you know, yeah, we've heard that. No, 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 no. One of my greatest failures is when I started to put a toe in the water before I left Disney to see if I was going to go speaking, I used vacation time and I went and spoke for the state of Florida and they paid me $500. Mm-hmm. When I jumped out on my own, I was charging $1,000 for a speech. And I talked to a buddy of mine, and he was charging 5000 And I'm like, dude, how are you charging 5000 You're not saying anything different than I am. And here's what he said. He said, Simon, it's all between your ears. And right there when he said it, I went to 5000 that day because I knew I had the content. I just didn't have the confidence to believe that I was worthy of getting 5,000. And what I discovered, there were clients at 5,000 that were waiting for me to get there, but I had to get there in here. I'm pointing to my head. I had to get there in my head (laughs) and in my heart. And, And then we went on from there. Beautiful. You know, I used to say, that I thought mindset was 50% of the game. And now I believe it's 100. That you really need to have your mind shored up in terms of what your value is and what you bring to the table and how you solve a problem in order Mm -hmm. to stand tall in your fees and really ask for what it is that you want. And Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think um, is the biggest mistake speakers make when it comes to negotiating their fees is they play small they they play small and they diminish and i'll be the first one to say i have done that in time past sure Um, they all of a sudden discount their value and what they bring to the table and and here so here's the example and many speakers listen to us they've heard this this example so picasso sitting in the restaurant woman notices picasso comes over, hey, Picasso, can you draw something for me? He takes out a napkin, draws it in 10 minutes. The woman proceeds to take it. He said, that'll be $10,000. Mm-hmm. And she said, but Picasso, that took you 10 minutes. And he said, no, it took me 50 years. Mm-hmm. And sometimes 
speakers discount all of the experience they bring to that moment to just get the fee. So obviously fee integrity and believing that you are worth what you bring to the table because now I, I believe what I do and I can point to many people around the world, people who have followed me and have followed my journey and have implemented what I've said, they have become millionaires. So we've created millionaires now. And, and I believe it started with me believing that I was worthy. Yes. That if you listen to one idea, you're going to walk out of this door, you're going to implement it, you're going to execute, and you're going to create your own breakthrough. You know, sometimes I think that that's what we're selling here at the Wealthy Speakers School is confidence. And, mm-hmm. uh, and with the knowledge of what, you know, a customer may be looking at your fee and thinking, oh, well, you can't be right for my audience because you don't charge enough. So. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. have, mm-hmm. If they have 10 and you're charging two, there may be a disconnect there. And mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. I really love that um, you have all of these great ideas. Now, tell us a little bit about some of the courses that you offer. There are things that speakers can take that um, you've got coming down the pike. Let's talk about that. Yeah, so the Brilliant Presenter online course that we created came as a result of people just asking me, Simon, how do you knock it out of the park on the stage every time? And instead of teaching the business of speaking, I said, let me just dial back and teach the art and science of public speaking. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we did with Brilliant Presenter, just kind of unpack the little nuances of not just the pause, stand here, stand there. No. How do you tell a story that connects? How do you engage the audience? What are all of the little things that I do that even before I get on stage, I've so built a connection with you that you're like, oh my goodness, I can't wait to hear what is going to be said, right? So that's why I created Brilliant, the Brilliant Presenter course. And we've already heard from people all over. They're like, oh my goodness, you really unpacked it. Because if we give you a workbook, And we take you through, this is how you do it, the message, the meaning, why you phrase things a certain way, why your look, why people size you up in the first three to seven seconds by what you wear and and just how that has power in and of itself. And I have a stylist that I work with now um, that has helped me understand that. So as a part of our new reinvention and how we present ourselves to the world, we're teaching style. Here's why it's important. Mm-hmm. Mm. So much, so much there. Um, Simon, I want to say thank you so much for being on the Wealthy Speaker Show. If anybody would like mm. to get in touch with you, let us know how they should do that. Yeah, Simon T, uh, T like terrific, Bailey.com uh, is our website and they can follow us on social media, LinkedIn, Instagram, uh, Simon T. Bailey. Uh, they can find me there. Beautiful. Where do you spend the most of your time on uh, social media? What's your sweet spot? Uh, LinkedIn is the the business channel for business people. So LinkedIn first, Instagram second, Twitter third. Okay. Very nice. Well, wealthy speakers, I think you might have gotten a lot of good juicy bits out of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure that you subscribe on iTunes 
And with that, we will say, see you soon, wealthy speakers. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Wealthy Speakers Show. Please visit speakerlauncher.com for your free Wealthy Speaker audit and visit speakerlauncher.com forward slash podcast for show notes and many more resources to help you catapult your speaking business. See you soon, Wealthy Speakers.